Hello, Bill. Good morning, Matt. Welcome to the DMZ, everybody. Um, here with uh, here with the dog, those folks who, can, who are watching. Yeah, we got attacking. great comments the other week when the dog was barking. People loved, freaking loved, loved that in the audio. <laughs> just so you know. Well, right now she's destroying a blanket. So hopefully that will keep her quieter because she's occupied. But I can't promise... Uh, we won't have further further disruptions. I guess if you're if you're Are a dog, you, uh, I I am not a uh, well. I, I sort of I like I like dogs. We used to have two pugs. Yeah. Uh, now we have two boys. Now we have two boys, and <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like uh, you know having children, as you know, Bill. It, it's and 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 this is a let's just say it's a glorious, wondrous time of year. Uh, and all that. Uh, I've been watching this. I, I mentioned last week, I've been watching the Santa Clauses, the, uh, yep. I think really good Tim Allen reboot on, uh, mm -hmm. Disney, which I highly recommend. Um, so it is a magical time of year, but kids are a lot of work. And, uh, even though it might make sense for boys to have a dog and they would love one, um, I feel like uh, the additional work that it would entail after already having kids is kind of uh, a deal breaker. What do you think? Yeah, I would. I this wasn't my choice. <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> like I'm, I'm not a dog person. Like if, I, I mean, I, I imagine people on the comments they, they hear a dog barking, uh, and they might say, "Oh, how cute!" Because they're dog people, and they, 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 the 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 sound of oh, no, dog no, they bark actually is... hated it. Well, I was I was I was being. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, well, I, well, I was gonna say like anytime a dog makes a sound, there's no cute dog sound. <laughs> it was oh, who, I love hearing your dog. No one ever, no, no one ever says that. If you use dog as a descriptor in conversation, it's an insult. You know, like a dog yeah. is an insult. Um, it is so. You know, Either way, uh, if, if if a man's a dog, that's not good. If a woman's a dog, that's not good. It, it's <laughs> insulting no matter how you use it. And uh, let me say, Bill, I, we are now. I think I have the perfect system in place. We are free riders on dogs, and that's because um, my mother-in-law, who lives close to us, has a dog and watches one of my brother-in-law's dogs, and so my kids are constantly there. They get to play with the dogs spend time. And then in our neighborhood, there's a great little French bulldog named Jojo that I get to hang out with and play with when I'm, you know, on my jogs and walks through the neighborhood. Um, so I feel like we get the benefit of a can of canines. Look at that. You got to If you folks need to turn, if you're not watching the YouTube channel, uh, this is adorable. The dog is kissing Bill. The dog loves you. You don't, you hate the dog, Bill. It loves you clearly. Look at yeah, this. Whatever you just said for the last thirty seconds, I missed. Because the dog. This is a, this out. is really cute. This is adorable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're we're best pals. Best pals. <laughs> um, should we get down to business? Uh, well, I, I guess my. Uh, you don't want to talk Christmas. You don't want to talk canines. <laughs> uh, you know what you do want to talk about. I know what Bill wants to talk about. I know why you're in a rush. Because you want to gloat. Because once again, Bill, 2022, now you are not known for your predictions, but no. this year, and you you and, and you beat me again, right? Uh, we disagreed <laughs> when we did our, uh, you know, um, over a month ago now, we, we did our big midterm predictions, and I uh, I, I got two wrong. I, I, I thought uh, yeah. Carrie Lake would win. You were You were right. And I thought Herschel Walker would win back then. Now, mm -hmm. I might have changed my mind a couple of days ago, but back, you know, over a month ago, I thought Herschel Walker would win. Bill Share, you were right on both counts. How does it feel to be in, uh, you know, to be to be the victor here? Uh, you know, it's, it's it's rare. You know, I've certainly been burned uh, many times, uh, but uh, it. I don't know if it's just that I'm lucky because it was a good Democratic year. My Democratic biases came through, or it's it's possible, Matt, that I'm just getting better at this. <laughs> that I'm I mean, you know, one or two decades of of uh, of flailing around. Eventually, uh, we may improve. It's possible. <laughs> um, and I should say, it's not just I think 
Democrat versus Republican. So Bill Share wins because he's got a Democratic bias. You know, I I I did have a good read on the Democratic primary in 2020. Uh, much more bullish on Biden than anybody else was. So again, I I'm feeling like you know I'm I, I'm getting a handle on this whole punditry whole, yeah. whole punditry shit. Well, and not not to not to toot my own horn, Bill, but I was high on on. Biden, uh, not only as a predictor, but but pooling for him to win the Democratic primary, mm-hmm. certainly against Bernie. And I'm pretty proud of my commentary, except there was one column. Do you remember? There was a point where it looked like Joe Biden was done. And I wrote mm-hmm. this very unfortunate Amy Klobuchar, <laughs> Amy Klobuchar bust column. <laughs> well, you know, so that it, is an asterisk, I would say. You know, the, it, we we weren't planning to talk about this, but um, uh, there is a lot of action happening in regards to the Democratic primary schedule. Yes, uh, where uh, you know, uh, a preliminary plan has passed the like, rules and bylaws committee, and it goes to the full DNC soon. Uh, where South Carolina becomes number one. Um, uh, if I remember correctly, I think I think Georgia and New Hampshire at the same time for number two. Then, then Nevada, this is essentially four, and Michigan is five, and Iowa is not there at all in the early phase. Uh, and... Uh, as you, as as longtime DMZ watchers know, I've always been a proponent of South Carolina remaining number four, batting cleanup. Batting cleanup is yeah. better than leading off, a point that nobody wants to listen to. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, no, you're let me say you're right. This is a solution in need of a problem. Yeah. If anybody should reinvent themselves, it's the Republicans. I think they should go with ranked choice voting in the primary system. But Democrats. Why would Democrats do this? It worked. Their primary system worked. They nominated Joe Biden, thanks to South Carolina, and he won the presidency. Why? Right. I mean, they, why change? Why? Why? If it ain't if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right? They have a system. You know, Iowa, and New Hampshire have had primacy for for almost ever since the modern primary system was established in seventy two, uh, and. There's been a fiction that it gives Iowa, New Hampshire, uh, outsized influence on who becomes the nominee, and the data doesn't really show that. Uh, you know, if if you can win both Iowa and New Hampshire, uh, you're off to the races. But often they split. Uh, again, because being number one doesn't mean you dictate number two. Often, often the number two state says, "Hey, wait a second. Yeah, yep. I'm not. I, I don't want to end this right now. I want to see this play out some more." Um, and I so, think it's partly the attention too, Bill. It's it's not that they're the most influential; it's that they get all this coverage. I mean, you know, journalists and candidates traipse through. Des Moines and Manchester or what, you know, and, and so I think it's maybe it's, is it, is it tourist dollars? I don't even know. Or well, just the perception, the perception of influence. I mean, I think there is some, you know, modest help to the local economies for all the travel and ad spending, hotel spending that they get. You know, Iowa had a very specific uh, desire, which was ethanol. You know, everyone comes in and bows to ethanol. Uh, even though Didn't John McCain said he was putting it in his breakfast cereal right, at one point. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so you're not going to see the same amount of kowtowing to ethanol once I was not, you know, uh, top good. of the list. Uh, that is, that is a good, I would agree with that. Um, uh, but the democratic, you know, de- you go back to the year 2000, the Democrat complaint was Iowa and New Hampshire are pulling Democrats far to the left. Because the the types of people who are, who get involved, uh, particularly in Iowa, because Iowa's a caucus, caucuses are low turnout, um, so it's the activist types that participate. It's pulling us too far to the left. You know, New Hampshire more of like a we're flinty, we're 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 cranky New Englanders. You know, we we like people who are in the middle. Uh, so they didn't, have, they didn't have quite that same rep that Iowa had, um, but the 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 knock. Now, amongst Democrats, was Iowa and New Hampshire are too white. Uh, they're not representative of the party in the country. 
So in 2008, you tell them they they two things go hand in hand, Bill: whiteness and whiteness and, and the Democratic Party and progressiveness uh, are correlated. Right. Um, What's well, the thing? I mean, uh, there the the push was to elevate Nevada and South Carolina to diversify the party, and also Nevada has a has a strong union presence. So. Seemingly, you are making the process more progressive when, in fact, uh, particularly South Carolina, that African-American electorate is is very moderate and pragmatic. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, Bill, and uh, um, the thing is, you, you're, you're a fan of, of Spinal Tap, I know. So, like, what happens is you start the election off and you're not doing well. And then you need... you. You need to get to South Carolina, but what if you started off on eleven? You know what I mean. Like, then where do you go? You're already there. Like, Joe Biden needed to have South Carolina like ready to you know to save him. If what if he had started off in South Carolina? I, I guess there's the theory he would have automatically won and coasted to victory, and it would have been uh, not even a contest. I'm not sure that's true. Actually, I'm not well, sure it, it would have It's, it's, it's out, a little but... hard to game out the permutation, especially because you it, it somewhat depends on what contest we're going to follow it. But well, to because back to because uh, because uh, 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 Jim Clyburn got to play savior, all right, and 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 got would he have been as compelled early on to play that role? I don't know. Uh, to circle back to your point, you, know, you got a little high on Amy Klobuchar. Because that was, Klobuchar, des- that was an act of desperation, right. <laughs> of pure desperation. But she had she had her fifteen seconds, uh, as did P. Buttigieg, because you know, Buttigieg had you know he nominally wins Iowa on the delegate count, though it took a few days to settle it. Uh, both Buttigieg and Klobuchar have solid showings in New Hampshire, though Bernie wins. But Klobuchar was moving up, so she seemingly has some momentum, and Biden seems to be nowheresville. Uh, so the presumption that the two early states are momentum generators was captivating to a lot of a lot of pundits. Uh, when the reality is these are demographically distinct states who have no interest in being told what to do by the prior state. Uh, so the fact well, but, that... But, but I think the thing with Biden is, and I don't remember the details, but look, I wasn't I wasn't one of these pundits saying Biden has to win New Hampshire and, you know, Iowa. But like, I thought he needed to come in like first or second or third in one of those first right. <laughs> several states, right? right. And so... Correct me. My recollection is that I know this may not be the best show uh, to talk about something that happened several years ago. But my recollection is that Biden was finishing like fourth or fifth place in some of these states. It wasn't even close. Well, I mean, Iowa, New Hampshire, that's true. I mean, and look, I think the, the early states do have influence in getting rid of the unviable candidates. If you're coming in, you know, bottom of the pack. Generally speaking, that means you, you your fundraising dries up. And even if you want to persevere, you just physically can't. And so you quit unless you can live off the land on free media somehow. Or, or uh, if you're if you're Marco Rubio and your plan is to come in <laughs> fifth, fourth, third, you know, whatever that was. Well, well, this, this is what Biden did. If I remember correctly, he came in second in Nevada. So um, he was able, which, which was tantamount to a win, I think, for him at that point. It at right? least that- it, it at least saved him from being seen as completely off the board. So we could say, like, the campaign is still viable, and so Clyburn had, had the ability to come in and say, "Hey, uh, uh, I want you in South Carolina to still, you know, uh, give this guy your, your your nod." You know, if he came in fifth three times in a row, maybe that would have been too much. But he's but he's a former VP. He had he had some money. Uh, so he, he he could literally exist. He could put ads on the air and exist. Uh, so you, you you do have to clear a certain threshold. But otherwise, these states make their own decisions. They're not sheep. They just do what the previous state says. Uh, so uh, you would think we would learn this 
Uh, and Democrats would say, look, we have a system, you know, Iowa, New Hampshire, small states, engaged electorates. They're good enough to get rid of the Andrew Yangs and the Tulsi Gabbards. Uh, and we can leave it to Nevada to do another cut, show us you got some Hispanic support, show us you got some union support. If you can't make that cut, then forget you. And then South Carolina can come in with the, the savviest, hard-headed, African-American, moderate, pragmatic electorate and, you know, really set the nominee, you know, on you know, his or her way. And, of course, you, you still have Super Tuesday after that. It's not like South Carolina literally decides what happens, but they've, they've, they've called their shots very well. Uh, and the, the, you get a lot of delegates out of that state. You get a lot of delegates out of other southern black belt states. If you win big, you get big margins. Uh, so it's all worked out and it really is an ain't broke, don't fix the situation in my opinion, but you know, Democrats are going to futz. Uh, and, uh, it's not like, I think that this proposed schedule is bad. I think the States they have in the mix are perfectly fine. Um, but, well, I mean, the uh, one, the one argument that I do like is Iowa has botched the caucuses so many times that I don't feel like we should be rewarding them with this much attention because they frankly are incapable of conducting caucuses. Well, I, I think here's the, I mean, I don't want to be too mean to the Iowa Democrats here. I just think caucuses have outlived their purpose. They're, they were not built to be high turnout affairs. A caucus is designed to be, you know, really party insiders, uh, in small venues, I mean, the initial Iowa caucuses are like in people's living rooms. They weren't you know, giant gymnasiums. And so, so it's not secret ballot. You're having your neighbors get together and having some back and forth conversation. Uh, people split up into their groups. If someone's not viable, then the people get reallocated after some additional conversation. You know, it's, it's just a different kind of event. I don't think it's necessarily better or worse than a secret ballot contest. It's just a different thing. And it can work in a very small environment. You can't do it with this much participation. This was expectation for almost the entirety of your party electorate to participate. It just, the math is so complicated. I mean, the logistics don't work. So it look, if it were me, I would go back to smoke filled back rooms. So let's be clear, but <laughs> this is what it is. And Iowa needs. So I, I get where Democrats are, are not happy because we've had what three, uh, three examples now uh, where the the candidate who won Iowa didn't get a bounce because they didn't even know if they <laughs> if they won it right. It happened to well, Rick Santorum. Sure, but you know Dick Gebert didn't get a bounce in 1988. I mean, because New Hampshire is a different electorate than the Iowa electorate. Get part was a no, but I mean even a polling bounce. There wasn't even a polling bounce that helped them. Right, but I think mean, the, the the more important takeaway going back to the entirety of the of the Iowa New Hampshire reign is you know midwestern candidates do better in Iowa and New England candidates do better in uh New Hampshire now if you can break that mold you know John Kerry wins Iowa as a New Englander so yeah he's got he's he's got New Hampshire going away uh but there's other cases where you know uh, uh I think if I remember correctly Bob Dole won Iowa in 96 but Buchanan eked out a win in New Hampshire um, uh, cause, uh, there was a diff there was a conservative constituency there like Buchanan, the, the Midwestern thing didn't carry over to a New England state. Uh, they're just different states that they're, 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 they're not robots that just do what the previous state does. Well, I think the bottom line here, Bill, is that you were right again. You're right about the primary. It, it is the bottom line. All that early. <laughs> You're right about so, so, Walker. So and, what do you uh, think? I mean, what do you think? Warnock winning Georgia uh, with a slightly larger margin than he won two years ago uh, against a Trump handpicked nominee. Uh, what is this doing to the party, to the Republican Party? Well, I think if there was any doubt that Donald Trump is a net negative <laughs> Uh, I mean, this was a very clear uh, rebuke of Donald Trump's ability to uh, to select, endorse, vet candidates successfully. 
But are um, Republicans learning? I mean, you and I know this because we're we're sane people. But we, is the Republican electorate absorbing that message, and is that going to change the trajectory of the twenty twenty four primary contest? Is it going to change the trajectory of how Republicans in Congress behave the next two years? Well, I think it's mixed. On one hand, I see people who are blaming um, Mitch McConnell <laughs> and Rona Romney, and and I think. Um, I think Rona, there's plenty of blame for Rona Romney. I, I have no sympathy. Romney for her, McDaniel. But, yeah, sorry, uh, <laughs> but she didn't. But she didn't. Uh, you know, she's just sort of a, I don't know, a cog in the machinery. Let's be honest. She's not running anything. It's 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 Donald Trump is to blame. But you know, people are blaming Mitch McConnell. Like Marco Rubio had a tweet, uh, kind of blaming uh, Mitch McConnell. I saw like Laura Ingram suggesting. Uh, that it's Mitch McConnell's fault. Other people like Lee Zeldin and and Christy Nome seem to be blaming the RNC. Obviously, this this th- that's how you fail to learn the lesson. If you blame Mitch McConnell, who was not at fault for what happened, uh, then it's going to be hard to actually, you know, the the thing about failure and losing is it could help you get better next time. You know, going through pain or failure or adversity. Uh, you look at the game film and you get better and, and, but that doesn't happen if you, if you pretend a, that you didn't actually lose, <laughs> which is what Trump did in 2020, Oh, we can't learn anything cause we didn't actually lose. Or if you, um, if you assign the wrong, uh, the wrong blame. And, and so that's, there's a, a, a segment of the right that's trying to do that. I would say though, it, it does feel um, like this is different, and and there are people, um, there are there are people like like Glenn Youngkin and Ron DeSantis, who I think are um, gaining momentum and seem to be willing to criticize Trump, albeit um, you know not not as forcefully as I might like. But I think I think DeSantis is, uh, in a way, the the biggest insult to Trump is to kind of ignore him. And DeSantis is, is doing yeah, that. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not aware of DeSantis or Youngkin saying something overtly critical about Trump in the wake of Georgia or the midterms. Well, not in the wake of Georgia. DeSantis said, look at the scoreboard. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Look at the yeah. scoreboard. DeSantis won by 19 points um, and Trump lost. But, but with Glenn Youngkin the other day, he criticized Trump over Trump's comments about uh, the Constitution, where Trump basically wants to throw the Constitution out. Youngkin criticized him. Again, it wasn't the most forceful denunciation, but it was something. But Bill, I wrote a column at The Beast where I think there's something else interesting at play. I am seeing a lot of infighting on the right. You know, Matt Gates attacking Marjorie Taylor Greene, Alex Jones attacking Kanye and, and Nick Fuentes. Mm-hmm. Um Laura Loomer attacking MTG, Nick Fuentes attacking MTG, uh, uh, Mark Mark Levin just went after some, I think Trumpy congressman. There's a lot of of Republican infighting, and and my theory is I think that is telling. You know, it, when there is a strong man who runs, think of like a dictator running a country. Once they seize power they tend to impose a, a sort of peace. You know, everyone falls in line because they have to. And um, by and large, the Republican Party and the and the right have been united behind Trump. I mean, with the exception of, of those of us, small percentage of never Trumpers, by and large, the Republican Party really coalesced around Donald Trump. And uh, they kind of all stuck together. There wasn't much infighting. And, and it looks like that has changed. There's a lot of uh, my perception is that it is jockeying for p- position or for a turf battle for a uh, a, a potentially post Trump world. What do you think? Well, I I, I part ways slightly. I, I I think in the Trump era of the Republican Party, Trump has always uh, encouraged and was a primary source of infighting. He he is. He has completely buried the so-called Eleventh Commandment: "Thou shalt not speak ill of another Republican." You know, Trump was always criticizing fellow Republicans. I uh, mean, among the right, though, Bill. Now you're mm-hmm. talking about Trump making fun of Mitt Romney, Trump kicking out uh, Jeff Flake or something. Mm-hmm. That yeah. is not new. What is new 
or not new, but what is relatively unusual is uh, someone on the right, like Alex Jones, attacking someone on the right as of now, he's on the right, like Kanye or or Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates fighting. That is new. The bad people always seem to find each other and like each other. <laughs> and that is coming apart. But I, but I, I think it is, I mean, I, it is not all, you know, literally direct, but I do think Trump sets a tone that uh, there's no... Uh, there's no political cost or psychic cost to criticizing your own uh, and that it should be, you know, dog eat dog all the time. Uh, and when you have a situation where Republicans coming off a bad election, uh, the blame game goes into hyperdrive and everybody can make all sorts of wild accusations towards each other. Uh, and this is all happening at the same time where you have a speaker fight going on. Some of the interesting fighting you're talking about is not about who's to blame for 2022, but who should be the Republican leader in 2023 uh, in the House. That's, that's the, the Gates versus Marjorie Taylor Greene fight is specifically because MTG is supporting uh, McCarthy. And, 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 and Matt Gates said something to the effect of like, well, I just wonder what Kevin McCarthy promised her. And uh, Gates, I'm paraphrasing, but Gates said something to the effect of he's going to double cross her quicker than you can say Jewish space laser, <laughs> which was an attack on Marjorie Taylor Greene. But Bill, I, look, I think that there has long been, again, you were free to attack M Mitch McConnell. That was fine. Mm -hmm. But what you couldn't do was attack a brother or sister right winger. And, and that's mm -hmm. changed. And also, people are attacking Trump more. I mentioned DeSantis and, and Glenn Youngkin with their sort of veiled threat or, or veiled criticism of Trump. But Milo Yiannopoulos claimed that he essentially set up Donald Trump to make him look bad, that he set up that, that dinner with Kanye and Fuentes to make Trump look bad. I don't think anybody would have, would have admitted that on the right, that, that they were uh, trying to make Trump look bad. That would have been the, a death wish politically. I'm I'm very annoyed that we have to talk about Milo and Alex Jones again, as if oh, they're, they're actually back. important people. Um, uh, Jesus, Jesus, dog. Um, uh, and I don't I don't know uh, to what extent. Hold on one second. I don't know. That'd be what a good extent. time. Go to uh, Patreon.com slash Bill <laughs> and for every dollar. He can he can find a pet sitter. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know if the, if if the neo Nazi faction here is going to have an impact on the Republican primary. Uh, is, I mean, we you know Kanye says he's running. Is he running in the Republican primary? Is he plan to run as independent again? Um, I don't know. He wants Trump to be his running mate, so right. <laughs> it's unclear. Um, you know, Trump is is being careful not to be mean to Nick Fuentes. Is he trying to win those votes? I mean, I, I just don't know to what extent this is all going to have, have relevance. Uh, but it has a certain relevance in the House speaker race because you got Taylor Greene, who has flirted with these neo-Nazi types, uh, trying to rally the far right around Kevin McCarthy because McCarthy said, well, I'll put you back on committee. So she's trying to... Uh, play that game. Whereas the but Marjorie is, Taylor Greene, I mean, this, this gets very um, uh, like, I don't know, in, in, incestuous and, and uh, Peyton place or something, but, <laughs> but there's some interesting stuff happening. I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene has actually criticized Nick Fuentes um, and, and sort of disavowed him. Remember she spoke at a Fuentes meeting earlier right. this year. Now she's condemned him. And so I'm going to read you Fuentes hit back at Green. And, and, and this is Fuentes. He said, quote, she wants to be the face of Christian nationalism. She's divorced and she's an active adulterer. That's according to Fuentes. And he goes I mean, on to say, how are you going to be the face of Christian nationalism when you're a divorced woman girl boss? So uh, not pulling any punches is Nick, is Nick Fuentes. And uh, I mean, this, I, this, this seems to be an example of how... Um, you know, what is the uh, uh, the line? Um, uh, Massey, Thomas Massey said, I, I thought they were voting. <laughs> I thought Republican primary voters wanted 
the most libertarian candidate. And then I realized they're just voting for the craziest son of a bitch. I think there's a battle now in this attention economy to who can be the craziest. And you're seeing people like Alex Jones be outflanked by uh, Kanye West. And we're seeing people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who now is like sort of the voice of reason being out crazied by Nick Fuentes. Um, and, and I think part of the lesson is that if, you know, Jonah Goldberg has, has made a, a, a smart point years ago that, that if you're a young, let's say you're a young conservative uh, or your brand should not be your, 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 your niche, you know, your, your unique selling position should not be that you're a young conservative because you're going to get older. You can't stop it from happening. Like that's not a great, you know, sort of market to try to own. And I think the problem with your market being that you're the craziest is someone can always outdo you. And I think that's actually happening. There's this race to the bottom. And Donald Trump, I think, has been surpassed. There, Kanye West is is more is weirder and more interesting than Donald Trump, right? Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is younger and more interesting and and you know Trumpier than Donald Trump. Um, Ron DeSantis is more effective and and a better culture warrior than he's a more effective culture warrior than Donald Trump and younger and more relevant. He's actually a, and he won by nineteen points. Trump can't win. A re, Trump doesn't win reelection. DeSantis wins it easily. So Trump has been out trumped in a sense. And, you know, Bill, it reminds me of what happened to Sarah Palin. I mean, there was a time when she was like the only game in town, kind of the young conservative uh, populist. And then she was surpassed, almost a victim of her own success. And people that she endorsed in like 2010 and 2012 became much more relevant and much more interesting than her. And I think I think I don't want to get too optimistic, but I do feel like Trump is being surpassed by a, a younger generation who are out Trump being Trump. Well, to be uh, just, I, I, I'm sure you do not mean that it's a good thing that uh, the Republican Party is going towards Kanye, <laughs> that if Kanye is supplanting <laughs> Trump, that's not a positive thing. For well, there's, Bill, Bill, there, there's, some, there's some good news and, and there's some bad news. <laughs> the good news is I feel like Trump is being kind of, Eclipse. The bad news is it's by Kanye and Marjorie Taylor Greene. So, I mean, well, you know, it, take your pick. But, then, but this, I think, is the potential problem. I mean, you know, if you know, there, there was interesting fighting between the Democratic Socialists of America and Jamal Bowman, you know, not too long ago. But that did not define the Democratic Party because they had put together a slate of Senate candidates a gubernatorial candidates, a House candidates that were that were pretty mainstream. Uh, so, you know, Alex Jones and Nick Fuentes and Taylor Greene and Kanye West don't have to define the Republican Party if leaders did things to make clear separations between uh, the party's brand and what's happening on the far right edges. Uh, but when you have Donald Trump having dinner with these folks, uh, yeah. and you it's have- It's hard to say- it's hard to say, well, it's just the media nutpicking. The media wants to make them. No, Donald Trump had dinner with them. Well, that, and that, I think even, that's a big deal. I may, and maybe we're at a place where, you know, Trump's not going to be seen as the leader of the party because there's a shift to DeSantis. So if Trump's doing it, that's dragging him down and not defying the party. But you have this House Speaker fight going on uh, where you have a small far right faction trying to dictate who the speaker is going to be, either by denying McCarthy the post altogether or by letting him have the post, but with the rule change to make it really easy to depose him if he doesn't do what they want him to do. Uh, So uh, a stronger party establishment, because you know they look at the Warnock-Walker result and say, okay, Warnock was a, uh, Walker was a disaster. These kinds of candidates are, Blake Masters was a disaster. Oz was a disaster. even even Laxall came up short. Uh, we don't need these kinds of candidates anymore. Trump is forcing these candidates upon us. We need to get rid of this stuff. If if they could do it without fear of losing Trump voters, they would do it because they, they they know that's the way to go. But there's still I, mean, I think that is the hope. Or that's the hope for Ron DeSantis. He could be the one guy 
that has the uh, the street cred on the right, the gravitas, the toughness to be to fill the vacuum that Trump has now left. Where these we've got these warlords now competing for uh, the the attention economy and and chaos. So that Trump Trump's weak weakened state uh, and and lack of institutional power, uh, institutional authority has has allowed this this chaos and this fighting. Um, that, that someone like a Ron DeSantis, and I can imagine a scenario, this is kind of the best case scenario, but a scenario where Ron DeSantis, like he continues to front as a populist and he continues to attack the media and all that, but he's simultaneously thoughtful, serious, not crazy, and he cares about winning. And, um, and he quits doing stupid things and he works with Mitch McConnell in the Senate and now we've got DeSantis and McConnell working in unison. And I, I think that, that then you could have a sense of leadership sort of the way that Nancy Pelosi had with the Democratic Party. Yeah, there were weird fringe characters doing weird things, but they didn't define the party because the party was professional. It had leaders. It had leadership. And um, that is maybe the best case scenario that Iran DeSantis solves the problem. I'm, forgive me for being distracted by, by the dog here. Are you asking DeSantis is going to solve the House Speaker problem? No, no. I'm just saying the, the cultural problem in the GOP or in the Republican Party on the right, that if you had Ron DeSantis emerge as the, the party standard bearer, um, I mean, Bill, remember, I'm old enough to remember George W. Bush and Karl Rove having a lot of juice. Um, and Karl Rove kind of telling people how to get in line and, 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 and imposing a sort of message discipline on the right. I didn't particularly care for it, but they did it. And um, DeSantis could be in that mold potentially. I, I, I know you're trying really hard to feel good about DeSantis, <laughs> but I, I feel there's two I problems. Love, with that. I mean, he, help me, help me, Ron DeSantis. You're our only hope. I mean, he's, he's our <laughs> OB1. I mean, I don't think I'd love maybe I'd love if I'd love it if Liz Cheney became president. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think Ron DeSantis is the one guy who has the chance, the potential to, to, to solve this um, anytime soon. He has the potential to be the nominee and to define the party's brand. But I, I, but I see two issues here. One is you have a more immediate problem with the House speakership. I mean, the, the, the way the House Republicans behave is going to be uh, a large part of what defines the Republican Party in the next year. That, that is the one body of government they control. I have uh, no reason to believe it will be anything less than a shit show. Well, that which is not good for, for probably if if you're That's having periodic shutdowns that they're instigating, they're going to look like an unserious party. Uh, and, even, and even worse, if they actually instigate a debt default, which causes a global economic meltdown, that's like beyond just like being bad politically, that's bad for Not everybody. an implausible scenario with this group <laughs> right. of people. Right. I'm just going to say it like that <laughs> is entirely within the realm of possibility. So I, I think you have, I mean, I, I think it's incumbent upon the more level-headed Republicans to solve that problem now, uh, which is why I argue in a real clear politics column, there, there is an upside for Republicans to say, you know what? I mean, granted, this would happen on the first ballot, but let's say McCarthy loses first ballot and you're having a second and third ballot because you got to get to an outright majority on the floor uh, and you got five more Republicans holding out. Uh, if they're going to be that difficult, uh, saying a Republican could say, fine, hey, Democrats, we'll get we'll get behind uh, picking uh, Fred Upton, who's a retiring House Republican, is more more moderate. Or even if you wanted to do, you know, Don Bacon Made or up. Brian Fitzpatrick, you know, uh, a Republican, so still Republican, you're, you're not going to be passing all of the Democratic Senate's legislation, uh, but you probably get some kind of commitment to say, you know what, we're going to keep the government open, we're going to pay the debt. Why would, Democrats help, why would Democrats help Republicans by doing that? Be, well, I, I think there's going to be one, a basic decent desire to not have a global economic meltdown. <laughs> people should be genuinely terrified about debt default and should behave accordingly. Number one. Uh, number two, you get a moderate in there and, you know, at least you have a shot of saying, hey, 
the Democratic Senate passed an immigration reform that had uh, nine Republican Senate votes minimum. Give us a shot on the floor. And let's see if we got a majority for it. I mean, maybe you don't have to have like that commitment be written in blood before picking the person, but you at least will get more of a hearing from that kind of Republican speaker than someone who's beholden to 10 members of the Freedom Caucus. I mean, John Boehner was a pretty moderate guy, was too afraid to put an immigration bill on the floor for fear of losing his speakership and only uh, showed a modicum of courage when it came to keeping the government open. We said, okay, the Freedom Caucus won't let me keep the government open. I have to do that. If it means me quitting to do this with Democratic votes, then fine. Uh, and the problem though, should want to be is... in that kind of circumstance where they're dependent on somebody quitting the job to do the basics. The problem, though, Bill, you know, what's the the Yates worst or full of passionate intensity, you know, poem that gets bandied about all the time? I mean, there aren't radical centrists. Mm -hmm. The moderates are not only moderate um, philosophically, they're moderate temperamentally. I don't know that the, the people who have sort of the people who have the guts and the energy tend to be extremists. And, and, and the people who are uh, more sensible tend to be weak and lazy. It, it, it tends to work that way, at least right now. Um, and so I don't see, maybe I will be proven wrong, but I, I don't see uh, a lot of courage amongst like Republican moderates who are actually going to seize, because you, you, have a, you do have a valid point, right, right Bill? I mean, just as... You know, we talk a lot about how like Marjorie Taylor Greene can run the House now, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's such a narrow majority that Marjorie Taylor Greene and a, a, a couple of members can can basically tell Kevin McCarthy what to do. Well, that same dynamic would theoretically work for moderates, right? I mean, if if, mm -hmm. if a small number of, of members have power, then a small number of members have power. They don't have to well, be crazy. And, you know, and Don Bacon has will indicated- Will they leverage their power? <clears throat> I mean, Don Bacon's been the one who's been semi-vocal and suggesting- some interest in in playing that game, uh, but again, we don't know if the, if he has enough to actually follow through on it. Uh, and and I'm not making a prediction on that score. I'm just saying I think there's a logical argument to do it because being beholden to Matt Gates and Andy Biggs and Bob Good is not a good place yeah. for the Republican Party to be. Uh, and to get to and shift back to DeSantis, I know we've gone over this theme a few times, so I don't want to repeat ourselves. Um, uh, I'm still not convinced that, I mean, I agree that Trump, DeSantis could eclipse Trump and I agree that DeSantis is more of a disciplined person than Trump is. Uh, I'm still not convinced that that is, that he is the right, that he is the lesson to learn from the Walker debacle. Uh, I mean, yes, DeSantis would be more disciplined than Walker. You're still talking about a, a hyper-focused culture warrior. And right. But this is a guy who won his, Ron DeSantis won his election by 19 points. He um, apparently through, you know, redistricting and gerrymandering delivered, I think it was four <laughs> new house yeah. seats to the Republican party. Right. Um, this is a guy who got stuff done, may not like the way he did it all the time, may not even like the things he did all the time, but he's not, he seems to me, to be kind of like a Mitch McConnell, which is to say he, he's serious and strategic. He, he's an effective wielder of power. You, you, you don't dispute for me there. But uh, and so I, I think you could I'm sure that the same as people and his fans are going to make the argument, hey, in a bad year for Republicans, he won a swing state by 19 points. He knows how <clears throat> to turn purple states red. Yes. And I think that's a flawed conclusion because I think Florida is not your average formerly purple state. It has gone in a different ideological direction than the rest of the country has. So I don't know if like saying, I know how to win Florida means you know how to win Arizona and Georgia or Michigan. That's the um, argument for Brian Kemp to be our next I, I think president. there's a stronger argument for Kemp. Um, <laughs> but, there's but let, a stronger me, let me say this about, about DeSantis. I think if you're if you look at the midterms, 
and you're if you look at what happened to Republicans in the 2022 midterms, and your and your response is, oh, the Republicans need to be a more moral party who cares about liberal democracy, then I don't think DeSantis is your obvious conclusion. But if you look at the 2022 midterms, it's particularly Herschel Walker, and you say, well, the Republican Party needs to be more serious and 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 uh, and not so stupid. Well, now Ron DeSantis seems like maybe he is maybe he is the answer to your to your problem. Let me put it this way, Matt: you, you, you're 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 a middle American guy. I live in your- I live in West Virginia, but I'm not like you, uh, elitists out there. And, That's right. And, Massachusetts, Taxachusetts, and uh, and Washington D.C. And, and New York. Do you think the average American wants America to look more like Florida? Yes. Have you been, Bill? It's amazing. South Florida <laughs> specifically. Florida is a is a common punchline for a joke. It's you know, Florida man blank is a joke. So. Uh, I don't think this Florida has maintained. You haven't been to South Beach lately, have you, Bill? It's <laughs> it's fantastic. Have you been to Palm? Have you been to Have you been to Palm Beach? Have you been to the Breakers? Have you uh, spent time there? You know, all of, you know, all I want my, that. that. That's the America I want. The Breakers. You know, all of my Florida time has been Central Florida, either Orlando or or this Tampa area. It. Your perception. Sure. But that's is, is totally war. Um, we're still we're going to talk about Matt. We're at ten fifteen. I can't remember if we had another topic in the in the hopper. I feel like we're missing something, but I also feel like we're now at forty six minute mark. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, well, yeah, the one that we didn't do about Georgia, the piece that I wrote for the monthly, uh, that this really should, uh. And the narratives we had in the past year or so about uh, how voting rights laws affect elections, because uh, oh right know, right right let, let me let me set this up Bill let okay. me set this up uh, because I was uh, I had a weird experience I'm not going to lie and say I stayed up Tuesday night I had a weird experience Wednesday morning when I checked in on what happened in Georgia. And I saw Herschel Walker delivering this pretty good concession speech. Well, I thought it was a subtweet attack on Donald Trump, where he's like, I think we should admit when we've lost and I think we should defend the Constitution. I mean, maybe not quite as eloquent as I just put it, but Herschel Walker gave a good concession speech. And then I went over and I saw Raphael Warnock, who uh, somehow was claiming Despite the fact that he won, despite the fact that turnout in Georgia seems to be really, really high, uh, is still claiming somehow that there's, you know, voter intimidation or or disenfranchising of votes. And I thought that was really irresponsible and wrong uh, of of Raphael Warnock and and a little disappointing. Well, I I think it's overly harsh. Uh, I, I think there's a fair case to make that the the Georgia's voting voting law that passed in 2021 uh, was intended to make it harder for Democrats to vote and that Democratic organizations went the extra mile to overcome those obstacles and get people to turn out. Um, The let me just say, I don't want to push back slightly. I'm not an expert on this, but I think I heard that a, the law in Georgia that you're criticizing was just a return to what had been the status quo, like before the COVID year. And also that the law in Georgia currently is way more liberal than even in New York, that there's plenty of uh, uh, early uh, voting. I, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't make New York your, your benchmark standard. Well, I mean, it's a, liber- it's a liberal city. Yeah, but and it's, in and a the, liberal and the law state. is more liberal than it used to be. You know, but I was watching... I was watching like MSNBC or something, and I think it was MSNBC, and they were in Georgia, and there was a um, a party like a hundred feet away from a ballot location, right? It was like across the street, and they're giving away food 
and they're like having a party and they're like, look, we're doing this here because you can't do it within 100 feet of balloting. That's considered electioneering. You can't give you can't even give away water over there. But on this side of the road, we're, we're giving away all sorts of stuff. How am I supposed to feel sorry for Georgia? Well, I, I think the food and water thing, you know, was very much an, an overemphasized uh, part of, of that law. Uh, but it did add voter ID to absentee voting. Uh, it did. Uh, 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 there's, excuse me. Um, some. I, I'm all for I'm all for voter ID. And I think I think African-Americans are, too, in polls. Am I wrong? Well, well, um, I mean, it, you I, I don't think that's I'm, I'm sorry to be a little uh, meandering. Um, you know, mail voting, I think it's something that's very popular. And Georgia made mail voting much harder by having to do a lot more paperwork uh, to go. I mean, you, you shouldn't have to, like, uh, have a whole lot of uh, uh, a mail ballot, you know, can come to your house. You fill it back in. It came to your place uh, and you sign it. That works everywhere in the country without having a lot of extra bureaucratic hurdles to it. I mean, personally, uh, I'm against, I, I don't like, I, COVID was a special case, right? I totally get we had to do things a little different during COVID. Um, I generally don't like mail-in voting being pervasive. I, I just don't. Um, but, but but this is, uh, but, but this, I think this you, works, you, in, you it works in Utah, works in Florida, works in Arizona, works in plain place, the Republicans that do well. People who like mail, old white people love mail. It's not like this is somehow designed to like only help you know young black voters. I know, uh, and, then my, and and the reason that I'm criticizing it is not because I want to disenfranchise anybody. Obviously, um, I don't, I don't but, care what they do. But, they, but, but I just very think, much to, to make a Matt Lewis from the argument. This is very much like Uber, very much like Netflix. You know, this is a technological advancement, if you will, that is convenient for people. And people like convenience. You know, you, you know, traditionalists might say you should vote on election day and that's it. We all come together on a single day to do this. Clearly, like voters that. don't like that. They like to have more convenience. So, but Georgia went the other way in that regard. And it also Maybe we should did make things. Christmas every, Maybe we should make Christmas every day too, Bill. <laughs> no, it also well, did why, things. Why just have one day? It also did things that you know, Republicans think is Democratic friendly. They What they call ballot harvesting. Uh, so the Georgia law made it uh, illegal for organizations to pick up the mail ballot, pick up a bunch of mail ballots and turn them in, you know, in one fell swoop. Uh, if you, the third party organizations couldn't fill out, you know, 90% of the mail ballot, put in all the, the basic information and then distribute those to get them in the hands of more people. They prohibited mobile vo- voting buses. They pr- they constrained access to the drop boxes. The drop boxes couldn't be outside. They have to be inside. So these are all things that Georgia Republicans thought were making it easy for Democrats. And the Democratic organization said, you made our job harder, mm-hmm. but we did extra. So what, what, what Warnock is saying in the speech is, you guys made it harder for us, but we put in the extra time and effort and we beat back your attempt at suppression. Now, my, my point is that, uh, yeah, these bills were intended to make it hard for Democrats to vote. And, and some Republicans said so on the record. <laughs> um, but but also, is, I mean, I, I don't mean to be a jerk, but I mean, you know, this was like Gabriel Sterling and 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 Brad Raffensperger, um, two Republican heroes who supported this bill. And I think it's also there to prevent, you know, Electoral fraud. Well, well let's let's put aside that debate right now, Matt. Um, my point is, we've ha- this is not just Georgia though. We've had a push for voter ID and other restrictive measures in Republican states for years now. And I was writing about this two years ago, and I've been consistent about it. Uh, the evidence shows that voter ID laws, and and I mean Georgia makes the case for like uh, like minded laws have a backlash effect, even if the intent is to suppress Democratic votes, they don't work because the targeted populations get uh, get agitated and organized and overcome them. If this is Jim Crow 2.0, it's a much weaker version than Jim Crow 1.0. These are weak suppression tools. 
so the what Democrats did in 2021 was to get into an existential hysteria, literally saying we can't win elections unless we pass some kind of federal voting rights law that prevents these measures from, from taking effect. And Cinema and Mansion, you are destroying democracy by not getting rid of the filibuster to pass this law. Uh, Emily's List withdrew their endorsement of Cinema because she wouldn't get rid of the filibuster to, to pass this law. And then Democrats failed to pass the law at the top of 2022. Amazingly, forgot the whole thing, <laughs> didn't bring it up for the rest of the year. Put, I mean, there was a point where the Biden administration was like, you know, I think we can out-organize this. And the activists said, oh, how dare you say this? How dare you say this can be handled without organizing? Well, in fact, it can be handled without organizing, uh, and which the Warnock speech acknowledged uh, in, the, the, in his victory speech. That's essentially what he's acknowledging. We are able to overcome these things. Now, you can argue, and I would argue, we shouldn't have to overcome these things. These laws are unnecessarily restrictive. We should be able to have easy voting. I agree. But it doesn't mean that you want to communicate that Democrats can't win unless these things are, yeah, are because then repealed. You're because the- it's, it's provably untrue. And uh, but, yeah. last point, Matt. Because the flip side of this is Republicans believe the same thing. Republicans believe. I mean, we lost Georgia because it was too easy to vote. We got to make it harder to vote. We'll pass this so we can win. Uh, Pennsylvania's folks said similar things about voter ID uh, before. Uh, yeah, but, but Republicans and, and are staying Republicans, home because that? they think they can't win. Republicans, Republicans are staying home in Georgia in some cases, or at least they did two years ago, because they thought the elections were rigged. So if you well, believe that, you that, can't well, that win, was more, that was more of a 2020 issue, I think. But I, I what I'm saying staying... is, if you tell your side that they can't win because the deck is stacked against them, that is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, that's a risk. And I, I was worried about Democrats risking that. They they avoided that problem because yeah. they memory hold the whole thing over the past year. Right. Exactly. Uh, now, but... Republicans thought we'll tighten up these laws uh, so we can win. And you know, there's strict there's strict voter ID in Arizona. There's strict voter ID in Georgia. Uh, that didn't help them. Bad candidates and bad campaigns are more determinative than these voting laws. And because both sides believe that these laws tip the scales to one party or another wrongly, but they believe it, they can't come together and pass any kind of comprehensive voting rights law, which the, I would, my slight bit of hope here, I mean, I'm not, I'm not very bullish on bipartisanship in this coming year, uh, but if both parties can internalize that these laws don't advantage one party over the other, then maybe you can have, I mean, look, a lot of Democrats are, have come around on voter ID as tolerable as long as it's not overly like most a lot of these that voter ID have fallbacks. Okay. You don't have your photo ID with you. Will you sign this affidavit? You know, something like that. That's called a non-strict voter ID. Um, uh, but you, you have States where I'm starting to uh, go on and on um, Virginia, Virginia Democrats in 1920, 2020 liberalized their voting laws. It's much easier for Virginia to be one of the worst states. Now it's one of the best states in terms of voter access. Who wins the first governor's race under that regime? A Republican, Glenn Youngkin. You know, Democrats had some some modest improvements, progressive wise, on their voting uh, on their voting laws in the past few years. Who wins all the house races in the suburbs in Long Island? It's Republicans. So everybody should know these laws don't dictate who yeah, wins. Once you w- once you get that. I, I- Get in a room and come up with a compromise because no one has to believe it's helping one party over the other. I like them on the merits, irrespective of who they help. Uh, and clearly, they're not clearly they're not helping Republicans, and I still like them. I mean, but let's just put, yeah. we're we're up against it. We're almost at the hour mark, but I think the again the the theme is you're right. I mean, you're you're right about. Uh, that's be the headline Walker. for the. That's be the title of the show. Bill's right. It will be, <laughs> since I'm going to title it. Um, <laughs> you're, you're right about Herschel Walker. 
you're right about the primary schedule, and you're right about the voter disenfranchisement. So three for three, it'll never happen again. So I want you to enjoy it, thoroughly enjoy this. (laughs) We will savor this day uh, in many holiday seasons to come. We should celebrate December 8th. As Bill Sharon, uh, right? D-Day, right? <laughs> As Sean Spicer might say, uh, a day that doesn't have to live in infamy. Uh, did I you see that? By saying, uh, I did not see that. I did not see that. Um, it was. It was just for those who don't know. It was actually Pearl Harbor Day. But <laughs> <laughs> I just want to close by saying, this dog finally got tuckered out and is resting. Uh, so I think so. next week what we do is we do an hour pregame to play the dog out. And then we actually hit record and we tape. With well, that's the why dog I was late out. starting. Cause I was trying, I was trying to get the dog to get it all out outside before we started. <laughs> so I was, only, I was only half successful. It wasn't that bad this week. I still encourage everyone to criticize bill in the comment section. Please. At, if you go to youtube.com slash Matt Lewis sound off, uh, what bothers you about bill? Uh, how could he do better as a uh, performer and a dog uh, is it is it owner uh, ableist? Is that wrong? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Dad, dog, dad. I'm not sure. Um, let us know in the comments, Bill. Anything you need to plug? Uh, I, I think I mentioned the stuff that I've written already. Um, the, the piece on Georgia and the monthly piece on speakership and real clear politics. Um, so I'm good. All right. Follow us on Twitter at DMZ Show. Support us at Patreon.com/slash Bill Share or patreon.com slash Matt Lewis. Uh, if you haven't done so already, subscribe at youtube.com slash Matt Lewis. And we'll see you back here in the DMZ next week. All right, take care. See you, Bill.